Nyata. Hello. My name is Alison. I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary, and I acknowledge the people of the Eastern Ma Nation who've been sharing stories and keeping culture here since time immemorial. And I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. The Parable of the Talents is an incredibly odd little puzzle box. Every way we turn it, we find another possibility. And so people have been turning it and wrestling with it for millennia. Even so, one interpretation has dominated the church. And you probably know how it goes. God gives us talents, money, skills, capabilities. And if we don't use them to achieve dramatic outcomes for the kingdom, God will label us as worthless and throw us away. But of all the interpretations, that one strikes me as absolute rubbish. And so let me begin by unpicking it. Jesus is telling the parable of the talents to his disciples. Now these are peasants who have just spent three years travelling with him and sharing in his poverty. To these people he tells a story about an obscenely rich man. This man is so rich that he can entrust one slave with a hundred years wages another with 40 years wages, and a third with 10 years wages, two each according to his power. And then the rich man goes away. While he's absent, two of the slaves double their money. As every peasant knows, this means exploitation, for it means lending money to subsistence farmers and then seizing their land when the crops fail. In the first century, people didn't become obscenely wealthy without exploiting the poor. And people didn't increase their wealth unless the poor lost even more. Just as in our own age, the global financial crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic have been leveraged to make the rich richer and the poor poorer today. So the first two slaves opted in, but the third slave opted out of this economic system. He chose not to exploit the poor. He didn't even deposit the money with bankers and earn interest because lending money at interest was illegal for a Jewish person precisely because it exploited the poor. Instead, this slave took the money and buried it in a field. When the master finally returned, he called in the slaves to take accounts. He praised the two who had exploited others to double his wealth. And then he turned to the third. Show me the profit, he says, but the slave cannot. He's afraid, but he steals his courage and he calls his master out. I knew you are a harsh man who reaps where he did not sow and gathers where he did not scatter seed, he says. So I was afraid and I hid your money. And then he gave the money back. Now at this the master exploded. He called the slave lazy, wicked, worthless, and then he cast him into utter darkness, showing through his harshness that the third slave knew him very well. So does this master sound like God to you? The God who is infinitely forgiving, endlessly giving and known for sowing seed with reckless abandon 
even in the most unpromising soil? Does this sound like the one who says the poor are blessed, the suffering are blessed and those who are persecuted are blessed? Does this sound like the one who spent his life with the marginalised and the worthless of this world? No, it does not. And in fact, nothing in the parable says that the master is God. Instead, the master is a typical bloated rich man. He's harsh, vitriolic and vengeful. He's a member of the 1% and he expects his investments to double with no work on his part. But there is a Christ figure in this story. This is the person who refuses to exploit the poor, who courageously denounces his master's rapaciousness, who gives up any claim on power, wealth or security, and who for his pains suffers rejection and violence. This is, of course, the third slave, and it's into his image that we are called to live. We are called to be like the third slave. In other words, this story is not saying that we're all fabulously blessed, rich and talented and that we should use these gifts to do something beautiful for God or else we'll be thrown away. That is a serious misreading, both of the parable and of the character of God. Instead, this story is telling us that following Jesus and incarnating his presence in this world takes a special kind of courage. It's the courage of an employee who names their employer's destructive greed, knowing they'll be fired for speaking out. It's the courage of a whistleblower who leaks evidence that a government is lying, knowing they'll be punished and even jailed for their efforts. It's the courage of a person who works among the vulnerable, trading money, power and social status for a deep and lonely sadness at the suffering of the world. It's the courage of a victim survivor who testifies, risking re-traumatisation and rejection as they seek to protect others from a perpetrator. It's the courage of a person who calls out a family culture of money-grubbing or racism or domestic abuse, knowing it will lead to awkward family Christmases or no family Christmases at all. It's the courage of a person who goes vegan for climate, knowing they'll be mocked by neighbours and friends. It's the courage of a teenager who speaks up against prejudicial attitudes among elders and peers, knowing they might well be ostracised. It's the courage of a gay or genderqueer person who names their truth, knowing they might be excommunicated and thrown out of the church. I look around this congregation and I see this courage in spades. It's the courage to be afraid and yet to speak anyway. It's the courage to be labelled worthless and to endure loneliness and rejection. It's the courage to journey into grief and despair and it's the courage to come out the other side and to risk new life and a new community of love.
It's the courage, in fact, to be just like Jesus. For he tells this story of master and slaves shortly before his own life was declared worthless, shortly before he himself was condemned to death, dragged outside the city gates, tortured, killed and thrown on the trash heap. He knows what it is to be labelled worthless. He knows what it is to be cast into utter darkness and into the abyss of grief and despair. Just as we do. For many of us have been declared worthless by family, friend or religious authority. Many of us have been despised and rejected by the very people who were supposed to love and protect us. Many of us know deep grief and despair. We know weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like Jesus, many of us are people of sorrows. In his letter to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes, I want to experience Christ and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow I'll get in on the resurrection of the dead not that I have it all together, or that I've already been made mature, but I press on. And in his first letter to the church in Corinth, he writes, God chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised according to human standards, to proclaim the message and to accomplish God's will. And so, my friends, if you are like the third slave... If, despite your fear, you've spoken a dangerous truth and have been despised and rejected by family, friend, neighbour or church, then take heart. Have courage. You are exactly the sort of person God chooses to proclaim the good news and to accomplish God's will. So do not deny the darkness, the suffering and the sorrows of this life, but do not stop there. Instead, like the Apostle Paul, press on. Keep reaching towards maturity in Christ. Keep mustering the courage to enter into the fullness of love and the fullness of life and the new community of love. For these are the rewards of the worthless slave. In the name of the rejected one himself, Jesus Christ our Lord, thanks be to God and Amen. If you were challenged by what you heard, there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you another time.